Well, good morning, and uh, thank you for braving the weather this morning. Uh, we had uh, actually more people at the first service than I thought that we would have, and we have more people at this service than I thought we would have. Uh, you are officially not the weather wimps, <laughs> right? There's a lot of weather wimps out there. I'll look at the camera. Hi, weather wimps. As you're watching this, we had lots of people brave this weather. No, I'm just, uh, I'm just kidding. If people didn't feel comfortable uh, in ice, then they're just from California. I'm, uh, I'm Pastor Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at the church, and it's my privilege that I get to share with you uh, this morning. Next week, actually, I won't be here uh, again because I'm actually preaching at another church. Uh, it's a church that is transitioning into our denomination, and so uh, myself and the executive director for Ontario uh, MB Conference, uh, we are both going to be up with that church. I'm going to be sharing from Scripture, and then he's going to be sharing in a question and answer period after the service. Uh, but Tamil is going to be uh, continuing in our series uh, that we're going to start today. And so today, I want to give you an introduction uh, to a theme that I think is extremely important. It's a, it's a subject that's really important to the Christmas story. It's a, it's a theme that we speak of plenty, quite a bit actually, during Christmas. We sing songs about it, we quote scriptures about it, but I'm not, I'm just not completely convinced that we actually understand the significance of this topic. I actually think it's a lack of understanding the significance of this topic uh, of why we have lost Christ in Christmas. And I don't mean lost Christ in the secular world in Christmas, but I actually mean lost Christ in the church at Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us, is the thematic center of the entire Christmas story. A child is born, and it's God in the flesh, God dwelling among us, God coming to earth as a human being to be with us, to be present. Over this Christmas season, we're going to begin to press into this significance of God's presence. The significance of God's presence in our lives, Emmanuel, God with us. It's something that we need to become more conscious of on a daily basis. The entire Bible actually is all about God's presence. When you read the narrative in scripture, you should always be paying attention to how it describes God's presence with the people or his lack of presence and pay attention to the outcome of each. So when God is present with the people compared to when God is not present with the people, as you read the narrative, especially in the Old Testament, pay attention to the outcome that happens when God's with them compared to when God is not. And since God is spirit and invisible, yet omnipresent, which is just a really fancy word for God being everywhere, it's important to understand how an invisible God becomes visible. How God reveals himself to all of creation. How he makes himself known to us. You see, in the beginning, God was with us. Literally in the garden with us. He would walk with us. He would talk with us. 
And we know this because in the Genesis story, after Adam and Eve had eaten the apple, it says that we heard, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Then the man and his wife, immediately following the fall, heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, this tells us that the sound of God walking in the garden was actually a familiar sound to them. This was normal. God taking a stroll in the garden, being present with them was totally normal in their reality. Except in this circumstance, it was not the sound that Adam and Eve wanted to hear. The Lord coming caused them to realize what they had done and the first feeling of shame is recorded in the biblical narrative. So this is the introduction of the way most of us feel most of the time. A deep down shame is introduced in chapter 3 in God's presence hearing the Lord coming. Now, it's important to notice in the early narrative, uh, in, in original creation, that God was directly present with humans, with all of creation. God dwelt among them, talked with them, directed them, loved them like a father loves his children. God was present with us. But after the fall, God moves Adam and Eve away from his presence, outside of the garden, outside of the place where God was directly present. Now, this is important to notice. The punishment for sin was to be away from God's direct presence. God would no longer be directly present with human beings because of their sin and their rebellion against him. So, so now God has to reveal himself in other ways. We see this throughout the Old Testament where God reveals himself through nature, particularly in like crazy catastrophic forces like fire, lightning, and earthquakes. In 1 Kings uh, we see an example of this where God reveals himself to the prophet Elijah. So I want you to really put yourself into the narrative here. So you're Elijah, and you are going to go before the Lord. And the scriptures say this in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 to 13. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. He's not even going to stick around. He's just going to go by. Listen to what, close your eyes and listen to this. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. Now, keep in mind, Elijah's like hanging out during all this, right? He's not looking at his window at freezing rain. He is present there in the earthquake, experiencing the wind. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? You can open your eyes. 
that beautiful picture of these amazing elements of how God is revealing himself is because humanity has moved from being in God's direct presence in the garden to God having to reveal himself in dramatic ways. But ways that never truly make him present with us. See, this is the challenge in the Old Testament narrative. God is not directly present, but because of his love for us, he stays near. There's a big difference between God being present and God being near. In the biblical narrative, one of the most obvious ways in the Old Testament where God's presence is seen is in the story of Israel. In this narrative, God begins his redemptive story with a chosen group of people, a group of people that he becomes present with, kind of, more like nearby. They never have garden-like presence again, but God shows them that he is near them, supporting them, empowering them. And the text calls this the glory of God. When God's glory hovers in the form of a cloud so that they know that he is with them. God's presence in a cloud. Now, Exodus chapter 40. Now, the book of Exodus talks about this often and gives us this imagery of God floating in a cloud with lightning. But in Exodus 40, verse 34 to 38, it says this. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. You see, the people would move with God's glory. Whenever God was there in front of them, they would win wars, uh, they would conquer nations. But whenever God's presence is in the cloud and would drop behind them, they would lose wars and be conquered. So God's presence was the thing that the Israelite nation needed the most. It was literally the most important thing to the nation of Israel. If God was present, they would be okay. They would prosper as a nation. But whenever God withdrew, they would go bad. Things would go bad because they were on their own. His presence was important. So important that it's often meant life or death to the Israelites. God would also reveal himself at times in scripture through angels and his spirit, but it was his presence through his glory that dominates for Israel. I want you to listen to this. It was God's presence, folks, that made Israel known as the people of God. Because God was only with them. Other nations knew that if the God of Israel was with them, no one could beat them. But if the God of Israel wasn't with them, then they could invade the nation. But God's presence 
in the narrative doesn't stay in a cloud. God would instruct them as he built, he would instruct them to build a temple and to build this thing called an ark, the ark of the covenant. And the ark would be the place that God guaranteed his presence. They would march with it in front with their armies, showing the presence of God with them. In Numbers chapter 10, verse 35, he says, Whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Rise up, Lord. May your enemies be scattered. May your foes flee before you. You see, God's presence in the ark is what saved them from their enemies. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 3, we see a contrast to this. It says, When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? Why did we go into war as God's chosen nation and lose? This has never happened before. What is going on? They didn't have the ark with them. They didn't have God's presence. It says, let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant to Shiloh so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. You see, the ark became the presence of God with them. And once the temple was built, the ark was placed behind what they called the Holy of Holies. And it was viewed as the place where God dwelled. To Israel, when God was present, they felt comfort. But when he was not, they feared for their lives. God promised to always be with them as long as they obeyed his laws. But as the story continues, we see that the nation grows less and less obedient to God's ways. And, and it's not long and God's presence is no longer noticed by them. Don't miss what I just said. They become less and less obedient to his ways and it's not long before they no longer notice his presence. So God has to send prophets to call the people back into obedience, but they don't respond. They make fun of the prophets. They persecute the prophets. The people want to do their own thing without God's presence. As a matter of fact, it's, it's like the people wanted their own presence to be the most important presence. And they wanted to do things their own way. They wanted to make decisions. They wanted to do life in the human way of doing life rather than the way that God calls us to in his presence. So this nation grows further and further and further away from God. And it's not long where God's presence is no longer noticed by them at all. His prophets preach, he goes through all of that. And then we have this Old Testament into the New Testament, 400 years of silence. 400 years of the people not hearing from God, not seeing God, not experiencing God. Now, the nation of Israel, they, they still talk about God. They still teach about God but they're not living according to his ways. And so there's no evidence of God being with them at all. God is silent. 
And the people are progressively losing hope. But those who listened, now remember, they had the scriptures memorized, right? It's ironic to me that you can memorize something and not have a clue what you memorized. Because those who listened to the prophet Isaiah knew that God had promised his return. In in our first passage of Christmas, Isaiah chapter 9, starting at verse 6, Isaiah prophesies this. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Folks, this is Isaiah's prophetic message that one day God's presence will return. Not in a cloud, not as an ark behind the holy of holies, but in the form of a child. A child who will become a great king. It was a message of hope because without God with them, life was lived how humanity chose and that was an absolute mess. So after 400 years of silence and people who are no longer aware of God's presence, God returns in the form of a child, just like Isaiah said. Take a step back. For, you're in your chairs. I know you can't actually do this, but just sit back for a second And think about just how huge this actually is. If God's presence was life itself, if God's presence was how your nation prospered, if God's presence was the key to everything, and that presence has been absent for over 400 years, and his literal presence returns in the form of a child, This is a big deal, but I'm not, I'm just not convinced it's that big of a deal to us. I think it's because we're just not aware of his presence. But that's what Christmas is all about. It's huge because it represents God returning in a big way. Literally God with us in the flesh, in the form of a man. The Christmas story, folks, is all about God's presence with us. It's not about mom and dad's presence for us. It's about God's presence with us. John chapter 1, starting at verse 14, a very popular chapter that I think we often graze by and don't understand how huge this is. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Folks, that's garden-like. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Isn't that beautiful? John, John the Baptist, testified concerning him 
He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have, rec- we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Interesting statement. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. God, in the flesh, living with us as a man named Jesus. And and listen to what the Apostle Paul says. This is an important passage. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians 1, chapter 19, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. What you need to understand theologically about that statement is the fullness of God, God is pleased to have dwelling in a man. A human man, fully God and fully man. God is pleased to have his fullness dwell in him. In other words, you want to know God, you need to know Jesus. God's fullness is present in the person of Jesus. And in the biblical narrative, what we see is is people excited that Jesus is there. Their Messiah has returned. And we see miracles happen, the return of God's presence in our world. There was people who grasped that and celebrated that. And there was people who, who didn't. But generally, people who believed were ecstatic. They followed Jesus everywhere. God has returned to be with us. His presence is with us. And then he dies. And then he dies. And so you can imagine that just the the hope and the joy, like God's back and now he's not. But see, for some of us, the story doesn't end there. For some of you who just dwell on his death, and you live in that theological realm, you're done. But for the rest of us, we live in his resurrection where God changes absolutely everything. Because now we no longer have to rely on our own abilities to live our lives with God. No more clouds hovering, no more arcs representing God. God literally dwells in those who believe. God manifests his presence in us, empowering us to live in obedience to his ways. He had called Israel to be obedient and they couldn't do it, but they didn't have the presence of God living in them, motivating them and calling them to that obedience. This changes absolutely everything. He gave us his spirit as a gift. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. We've had the whole dramatic Pentecost happen, speaking in tongues. uh, And everybody's like, so what do we do now? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is God's presence in us 
that changes everything. You can dwell back in the Old Testament and look for the cloud hovering nearby, or you could begin to live life with God in you, garden-like presence, God with us. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9, listen to how Paul makes a distinction here. He says, you, whoever, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If, now this is a big if, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. In other words, anyone who has God's presence in them is empowered to do everything that Jesus did. Anyone who doesn't have the Spirit living in them is still living life by their own power, their own presence, absent of God's presence. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says this. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? It's no longer an ark behind a curtain in a temple. It's now his presence dwelling in us as the temple. Now, the presence of God was and is the most important theological reality of all of Scripture. And I actually think it's one of the most ignored theological realities in all of Christendom. Being aware of God's omnipresence, God with us, God in us. God is with us right now. We don't even need to invite him in. I love it when preachers say, Holy Spirit, come. He's here, present with us always. This is why Christmas is actually such a big deal. We, we really dwell on Easter as Christians, but Christmas is the return of his presence. It's a really, really big deal because it represents God returning to be with us. Listen to how important God's presence was to some of the biblical characters. Let's look at Moses, for instance. He's a kind of a big hitter, heavy hitter in the Old Testament. He's having a, Moses is having a conversation with God, and they're determining about whether the Israelites are about to move on to their next location, so to speak. And we know that, that Moses never led the people to the promised land, that they're wandering in the wilderness. And listen to what God says to Moses. He says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. But then Moses says to him, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us up from here. In other words, what Moses is saying is, no matter how crappy things are here, no matter how much we're getting attacked by different nations, no matter what life is like here, if you are going to move us on and not go with us, I would rather be dead here. Your presence, if it doesn't go with us, we're not going. 
That's how important God's presence was to the Israelites and to Moses specifically. Now listen to what David prays in Psalm 51 verses 10 to 11. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Now listen to this. Do not cast me from your presence. Or take your Holy Spirit from me. See, David was one of the few people that the Holy Spirit had rested himself upon. But in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon somebody, empower them, and then leave. And so he's pleading with God, don't cast me out from your presence or take your spirit from me. Because without those things, without you in me, with me, I'm lost. God's presence is everything. And it's something that God has promised will never leave us again. Matthew 28, we're very familiar with this passage. He says, therefore, go and make disciples. I do want to point out, I know I point this out every time I read this passage. It doesn't say sit and wait. It doesn't say sit and be entertained. It doesn't say, you know, wait for the latest, coolest, small group. It says, Go. Go. That's an action word. That's something we need to be doing. And doing what? Going and doing what? Making disciples, not just in Simcoe here, but in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Trinitarian language there, to what? To teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. That final end promise is what tweaks it for me. Because it's one thing if he says, go and do this and do this and do this. But I'm like, without you, God, I can't go and do anything. But he assures me that I'm not going to go and make disciples of all nations without him with me. And he promises that he'll be with me always to the very end of the age. God with us, living in us, and returning in the flesh again one day to establish the new heavens and the new earth. See, folks, the biblical story starts with God walking in a garden with us, and it ends with God being our king in a new city, present with us. Without God's presence, we're on our own. We have to fend for ourselves. And we have no hope and we will always struggle to find purpose in our lives. Think about all the ways at Christmas we try to find purpose. Meanwhile, the Christmas story has handed you your purpose of his presence. God's presence is the most important theme in all of Scripture. It's the key to the biblical narrative. It's the hope that the Christmas story brings. Now, many of us live in his presence every day, yet don't truly live present with him. I'm going to say that again. Many of us live in his presence every day, yet we don't live truly present with him. It's kind of like we're so busy 
and our son or daughter is talking behind us, and we're just kind of ignoring it because, you know, we have really important things happening on Facebook. Kim has posted some amazing stuff, and I need to be aware of whatever Green is doing. And what was that you said, son? Oh, yeah, okay. Folks, God is present with us, calling us to be aware of his presence, and we're too busy on our phones. Being present with the Lord is his deepest desire for his children. And so it doesn't surprise me that our world is hopeless, lost, struggling to find purpose. Because we're ignoring his presence. The one gift that means everything, we pay no attention to. It amazes me, folks, that God wants to be present with us. How many people have like a child that's misbehaved? You don't have to put up your hand, unless they're not here, and then we can talk about it. You ever like have it where somebody's just causing so much trouble that you just want them to leave? You, don't, you just don't want anything to do with them anymore? Think about what we have done to God. He gives us this beautiful chance in a garden to be fully in his presence, in communion with him, living with him, walking in the garden, and we get taken in by an apple. Because we want to know what God knows. We want to know good from evil. I wish I didn't know good from evil. It's horrible how much we know. It amazes me that God wants to be present with us. If you read the biblical narrative, you're not even halfway through and you're like, seriously? I'll give you a little hint. Read Genesis, read the first half of Exodus, then jump forward to Deuteronomy because Moses recaps the whole thing. Seriously, if you want to know the story, read Genesis, part of Exodus, because the first part of Exodus is one of the most important pieces of the narrative, and then jump to Deuteronomy because Moses recaps it all. We do not deserve God's presence with us. And it amazes me that God wants to be present with us. But I'm a dad. And I realize that no matter what my kids do, I still want them around, don't I? Like My kids live in London, so they're nearby. But there's nothing like them being present with me. You see, Christmas is not just a once-a-year holiday where we get, get and give gifts. It's the return of God being with us. It's like someone returning, someone who you love returning to be with you. We might be able to talk. I can talk to my kids through FaceTime, and, and I can talk to them through text messages and all kinds of ways that our technology allows us to connect to people who are near but not with us. But yet... When your loved one is actually with you, present, there's nothing better, is there? Nothing can replace that kind of love. And this is what God wants for us. To be present with him. So, we can walk, so he can walk with us. So he can talk with us, be with us. There is no stronger bond, folks, in a relationship than being present.
You see, when I'm on my phone, I'm not present. How's my marriage going to be if every time Carrie's talking to me, I'm ignoring her on my phone? But then saying, yeah, yeah, honey, I love you. Okay, I'll spend one day with you. One hour, depending if it rains. There's no stronger bond in a relationship than someone just paying attention, just being present with you. The worship team can join me. This is why, folks, over the next few weeks, we're going to press into what practicing God's presence looks like. Now, Tamil's going to dig into that a little bit deeper next week while I'm away sharing with that other congregation, and then we'll pick up that theme along the way for the rest of the Christmas season. What does it mean to practice God's presence? What does it mean to be aware of his presence in our lives and how to receive his presence and live empowered by that presence? We're going to explore what the Christian life that God's presence brings us through a child, Emmanuel, God lives God with us, what that Christian life would look like. How would it be different if we were more aware that God is with us always? Would would that change the way we perceive things in this world? If we were actually cognitively, physically, spiritually aware that God is with you right now. As we move into communion today, I want to challenge you to become more aware of God being with us. He's with you right now. Become aware of his omnipresence, that he's everywhere all the time, and the fact that God wants to be with you. Not ignoring you, texting on his iPhone, because he has an iPhone. He wants to be with you. So think about, as we do communion, think about how this awareness of his presence in your life might change how you live this week. 